and he can praise you uh, amidst the amazing creations uh, that uh, you have made. But thank you for bringing us together today for that single purpose, for that one purpose, and that is to praise you and give you the worship that you deserve. And we get the praise that we don't deserve. No, we don't have to do anything. We thank you in ways you know, we'll never know. And so, as we listen to your word today, and as we praise you and let that, we ask that you let that word sink into us, into our very souls, and uh, that we can live that word every day from here on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll see if this works. And I We're just using this one. I played with a, a windsock thing and it made it worse this morning, so. They go single file. What such good order? to stop treatment and so they don't believe that he's going to make it through the next 24 hours so if you pray for be with the family a place of hope for them so pray for Isaac and pray for his uncle just pray for a miracle to happen that in the, even though they've said there's only so much time left can't heal him of it or help something happen in the next couple hours but we then we hope that he will be, uh, he'll know that he's going to be with Jesus soon. And so we just pray, we want to pray for that. We want to pray for the family as they are going to be um, going through some pretty tough times in the next 24 hours. So pray for Isaac's uncle, uh, Corson. I guess we didn't pray for him last week, did we? No, he got hit by lightning on Tuesday. On Tuesday. He was hit by and I get he's home and on some oxygen, but it killed his horse, and so he's very much feeling blessed. So uh, pretty amazing that he's okay. Sometimes I, mean, I don't know a lot of people have been hit by lightning, but I've read some accounts, and there can be some residual things over time. So pray for him and his recovery. not be nice. Uh, they're moving to New Hampshire and they're going to be hitting the road Friday. And if you're how much you love them, it's going to make Karen especially cry. So she prefer you to say things like oh. 
and the movers should be there tomorrow for a couple days to get them loaded up to move to New Hampshire. Um, I have had so much fun with Karen and Jerry and their leadership in this church and in this community, especially the community centennial, is going to be missed. Um, I can always count on Karen to have it's going to be a shock life and I, it's hard because I'll hear her say something and I want to stop everything I'm doing and like it's pretty awesome and uh, of men's ministry in this church I've been a great helper and been a deacon in this church for a long time and led a lot of wisdom flow through him into us and so they're going to be greatly missed does anybody Yes. We've been praying now for eight and a half weeks for Lenny, and he passed away Wednesday. I don't know if you all heard, we've been play, praying for Lenny, who's been in a medically induced coma uh, because of COVID for the last, it was eight, nine weeks, wasn't it? Eight, eight and a half? Nine. This would have been nine weeks, and he passed this week. So pray for his family. Uh, shared it, but he is able to do all of his treatment here in Laramie now. He doesn't have to do the Fort Collins Drive for five weeks. Uh, it's a treatment where it's four hours at home, and then he has a week and a half off, and then it starts all over again. And he's starting to, he's been through two cycles so far. That'll happen for another six weeks. And then when that treatment here as well. And so looking around Christmas time, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, hopefully uh, they'll be able to go in and operate and take out the, the tumor that's right at the base of his esophagus connected to his stomach, and then we'll go from there. So um, he's been around and same old Chuck, but then he also has days where he, it's hard to even get out of bed. And so if you just continue to pray for him and for Angie, but it was great, a great blessing from God that they don't have to do that drive to Fort Collins, you know, it was supposed to be daily treatments every day for five, five days a week for eight weeks, and they changed the game plan, and so it's been a blessing that he can be around. Anybody else? All right. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. During this time, lift up these requests. in every one of these circumstances. We bring safely that he would be a blessing to his family, that he could be an encouragement to his uncle um, and to those around. We pray that we would give prayer in miraculous ways. It's a lot. And so if you're willing on this earth, we pray that you will welcome into your arms in heaven. And if you regard 
questions. We pray because you're our creator. And we don't begin to believe that we can tell you what to do. But we do that you would heal strength to be a great support to his family. to prepare um, this week. And so we pray things packed appropriately. We pray knows what that's like. That the road trip across the country would be not grueling, but maybe a little bit of fun. And as they community in their new home, I pray welcome arms of that community and that community would grow to love them as much as we love them here they're going to be missed greatly we pray you keep their health continuing to get better find you all people that would love them like we love them here was able to Um, but we got some things that are still being worked out. Recover well. We have from that. Instead, it would become a story to be told around campfires um, that people would be amazed by. And we're is after a long fight. And lots of medical um, treatment poured into him. Lots of prayer surrounding him. And now he's home with you. So we pray friends would be able to rest. We are thankful that we can come together. That we can come together. We are thankful, Lord, and we ask all these things in your Son's name. And we end up Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not over us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Amen. celebrate Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross, to celebrate the remission of our sin, that we are his love for us. And we are part of a, a church global that does this very same thing, because God and it have a, a brief snack and something to wet our whistles. It's that we would come something that connects us with generations and generations of the past and keeps us connected with those here with us today. Oh.
if you don't have a communion cup, we have some there in the back, I think, unless we're out. Cole's going to go get some. So I'm going to do my two-minute stand-up comedy routine. I don't know if we've done very, most of you have found that. I don't know if we've done a good job of telling you that that's where we're not passing baskets right now, and so there's a basket in the back for offering. Um, next week, we will not be here. All if you come, going to be here, and then it'll jump. So we will be. Inches all around to sit in. If the bring a chair, we got your posture. Bring your own. Be great. It's gonna be a fun time. Meal, and so the funds are providing some sides, and it will be boring. <laughs> so, I mean, the flipping those. Go ahead, Teresa. The um, meal will be at the shelter number one, not Autodoll, where the bathrooms are, because that one was already reserved. So, it's where they serve the ice cream on 4th of July, the big long one. That's where the food will be. Everybody got that? Okay. Bring some cool sides. Not like cold. Bring some fun ones. Some of you are great at that ones and don't tell anybody and when their mouths go on fire they'll know it'll be great <laughs> all right and as you'll see today accident this was not a surprise Jesus didn't want to happen he will die for you and for me. We take the bread and we eat. When we take but it's also a reminder that there will be a day when we will take the cup. The cup that we will take the cup that Jesus said he would not pick back up until we were together in heaven again. And we will celebrate all that he has done. Without I all of you that Gene Wheat is with us today. And if you would like go by and say hey to her, I think a lot of people already welcomed her. She's probably tired of saying hello to people. Um, but it is pretty awesome seeing you here. Right. Something else I was about to announce, but I don't remember what it was. Oh, yeah. Um, if you recall, if you've been with us for a while, a of the congregation to leave the denomination. Um, and with that, we also, we now vote to change the Constitution to remove that from our legal documents. So, right, you want to hang out and be a part of that.
business meeting. Terry's going to lead it, and then we're, we'll have a vote to remove that part, that language from our Constitution. You should have all got that mailed to you, and we'll have ballots to do that um, right after the service. All right. had spoken these words, referring to where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now, this place, for Jesus also from the chief priests and the lanterns and torches and weapons. Who do you seek? They Jesus said, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I so seek. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. He had spoken of them. Then Simon so Jesus said, has given me. So the officers of the Jews are for he was the who was would be expedient that one man should die for the people. We're going to stop there. We that this that all has led to this moment that Jesus has over and over and over again said this was coming. He said that this is going to be time for him to go trying to do the final instructions to the disciples in the upper room, and then he's done. He's done closing prayer, the disciples, and then he says, let's go. Let's go. Um, the times around uh, Easter, especially There's not, it's not untrue, but there's a lot towards you feeling the guilt, and you see it witness on the cross, and then you will make a response to that. Used with some other theological things in there, but that's a whole other conversation. With me, and we have at the like worst direction and all those things, and so even at 
of our sin. And then when we see John in his gospel instead that Jesus went with he is the same that said with all decisions this is what so that the people of God we see pretty quickly that Jesus orchestrates all of this that he sets all He went to the garden to record the sweating of blood. And decided, hey, will you stay awake and hang out with me? Hey, this is a big deal. Put the timeline. Back a couple years ago, when I went, Amber and I went to Israel. With the weather, you leave the and you do the walk. And we got not just a, a good walk into the Garden of Gethsemane, and you find. And spend the night. Those went often. So, what's coming? He. How about. He did. On a place where they all. They knew, Judas knew that's where Jesus would have been. It's a. You know, it's a big place. You could hide 12 spots. You say, hey guys, let's break up in half and we won't, Jesus won't die. Speaking with an for this entire situation. And so you go I'll go to the next Prayed for strength. He went would be that this cup would not pass. Go through all this. I prefer not felt before, but he said in complete say, Lord, whatever you say, Dad, whatever you say, do. And so that's what he does. And then he Confidence. When he did you kind of tense situation, you've heard like count to ten, take a pause, take a knee, take a time. You're stressed out, anxiety is high, you need to stop. Jesus would all and in this moment he did that. Collect every we should all learn from that. We should all when things are about that 
kind is going to come out of your mouth, it's probably good to just take a pause. Do I really want to go down? Just took a pause. Forward with power. He that out until studying for this. A power dynamic of what's happening with these people coming to arrest him. to betray so Judas and some went there with lanterns and torches and weapons then Jesus knowing all that happened to him came forward and said to them whom do you seek they answered him Jesus of Nazareth Jesus said to them I am he Judas who betrayed him was standing with them so picture this he's in the garden he's got done praying he tells the disciples from the other, one of the other gospel accounts, he says, it's time. Judas shows up, he's with these guys, and he steps towards them. Now, there's some conjecture on how many people this really, how many soldiers are there. Um, some, because if you have an officer, to have an officer show up, that means it's going to be about a thousand troops. And then if you look at, you dig into the language a little bit, it could be, it was at least 200 Roman soldiers, along with some soldiers from the priests and the guards, with torches and fire, marching up, coming up the hill, at least 200 troops showing up to get Jesus. And Jesus walks out to them, steps into that. He steps into it, and he says, who do you seek? Well, they all know who's there. In another account, we have Judas doing the kiss, and he says, get about your business. So we all know, they all know who they're looking for. They all know what's happening. But he comes out and he says, whom do you seek? Not, uh, what are you guys doing here? Who are you looking for? Uh, I, my name is Bob. My name is Frank. My, uh, no, Jesus from Nazareth? I'm Jesus from Philippi. It's the wrong guy. The other one, he's, I look a lot like him. You know, we have good beards. It's not, none of that. He steps right into this. And he says, who do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And Judas is right there in the mix. Nothing is a surprise. Nothing is catching Jesus off guard. He knew this was going to happen because he wanted it to happen. It was the time. No more hanging around the Sea of Galilee. It's time to get done what he was sent to do. This encounter shows and affirms that he was in control of all of this. Because the next thing that happens is the part that I hadn't really spent a lot of time studying until this week. We know that he's doing this out of his power and authority. But when he says, I am he, look what happens. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. 200 plus troops, Jesus says, with authority, I am. He says with authority, I'm God. And they hit the dirt. They all fall down. And immediately, can you, can you just imagine that? We're going to take care of this little band of rebels, these morons, these people hiding in the garden, troops all decked out, Roman soldiers, the guards from the, the temple, they're all there, and he says, I am he, and they fall to the ground. 
they hit the dirt. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus tells them, um, I already said it's me. I'm not hiding from anyone. And this is where you see even, even this moment where he's about to go die. He cares deeply for the disciples who are all around them. And he tells them with authority, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have given, you have gave me, I have not lost a one. So even in this moment, he's protecting the disciples. Because by all rights, this is a rebel insurrection according to the priests and the Romans' ideas. And they should have captured every one of them. Sure, Jesus goes and gets put on trial. Jesus is the one questioned. But you don't just... You don't just show up and take the leader and let all the followers just hang out because once you take the leader and he becomes a martyr, then all of the disciples are going to be even more energetic to get to work. You're going to take out the whole crowd. But because Jesus speaks with authority and says, I am he, I'm the one that you're looking for, that's not a slip of the tongue. He's saying, I'm God. They hit the dirt. Now, we don't have a description, because you could read this a couple different ways. Did they fall down in worship? That doesn't seem likely. Did they get blown back three feet like a movie when the cable pulls them through the window? And they, I don't, we don't have any idea what this looks like. All we know is that there's a couple hundred dudes that hit the dirt because he spoke. Now, if that happened, like, that, that'd be cool if I could just say, I am, and you all just fall out of your chairs you're all going to get up and go, what was that? I know we have Wyoming wind, but that well, that's, what was that? And then if I were to tell you, hey, we're going to go do this, or hey, no, you're not doing that, we would, most people would respond in going, I don't know what just happened, but that was freaky, and I'm, I'm shaking to my core. So then he says, I'm not hiding, I'm right here. And since you have me, you're going to let these people go. Uh, yes, sir. Even though Jesus is walking to the cross, even though they're about to arrest him and kill him, they submit to his authority. That's mind-blowing. So it helps, it helps us to see that everything that's happening is the will of God and the power of Jesus. He's leading this. We can't look at Jesus in this moment as a victim. He is in charge of everything that's happening. And then Simon, verse 10, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now, I, uh, I spoke to a, a couple years ago. This came up, or I think it was just a conversation um, with a, a local law enforcement officer who served in Iraq, and he was a combat medic. And he hung out and he took care of a lot of people in and around the Persian Gulf area. He was in, out in the community a little bit. And he got to see some of the Mediterranean fishermen at work. And he, what, a lot of the wounds he treated in the locals, they're trying to do like the hearts and minds and take care of the community, were lots of knife wounds, lots of knife attacks. Everyone in that area carries a significant blade, especially the fishermen, and they know how to use them. And I, we were talking about this passage from how it's told another gospel. And he pointed out to me, he's like, Mike, have you ever really been around Middle Eastern fishermen? It's like, well, actually, no, I haven't. Um, I like knives a lot, but I've not been around. He's like, 
he doesn't believe, and then I started digging a little bit. Number one, this, the word sword here is not like what we think of, you know, Braveheart, giant, Claymore, Scottish sword. That's not what we're seeing here. It's probably something that was carried by fishermen. I guess Peter might have been a fisherman, maybe. And it was a significant length, 10, 12-inch blade, used to do everything under the sun take care of fish, take care of whatever, and these men were adept at using these blades very skillfully. This isn't a wild swing of a man who's desperate. This is a calculated, scalpeled, expert use of a blade, and he took off the guy's ear as a sign of, oh, I can cut you. And Jesus immediately is like, what are you doing? You don't get to stop this. And picture this too. If you have 200 soldiers and a fisherman following a reported rebel whips out his fishing blade and slices off an ear, do you think these other soldiers are just going to go, that was kind of cool. It's going to be an immediate gladius Roman sword to the chest. It's going to be an immediate javelin thrown at Peter. This guy is going to die. He just cut the ear off of one of the priest's soldiers. He's going to die. Now, in the other gospel accounts, we have Jesus miraculously picking up the ear and putting it back on. I mean, I think in that moment, the whole crowd would have went, uh, we're not doing this one. I don't know. We got the arrest warrant, but I'm thinking I don't want to be a part of this. I've been knocked on the ground. He's speaking with authority. His followers can slice people's parts off in a moment's notice and he just healed him. But that wasn't what the will of Jesus was. It wasn't the plan of God. The plan was to be arrested. And so Jesus rebukes Peter. Hey, don't get in my way. This is how it's supposed to happen. I'm the one in charge. And because of the authority, we just saw him speak and knock people down. No one kills Peter. They're they're deferring to Jesus and his authority in this moment. He just attacked a soldier And Jesus is the one calling the shots. That helps us to see the window of what's going on here. Jesus is in charge of this entire situation. We don't have the account here in John. We know that he heals this ear, puts it back on. Um, I think that's probably a story that that was told for a lot of years after this. Well, you know, I went to arrest this guy, got my ear cut off, and another guy put it back on, and it works great. (laughs) Like, think about the testimony that went forward over the years with those soldiers and those people who were connected over and over and over. I mean, I, I, this is complete. I have no basis in the Bible for this at all. But when Peter preaches a sermon and thousands come to faith, we always picture the visitors into the city hearing this. But how many soldiers engaged in all of this happening during this Passion Week would have been, wow, and converted as well. I saw all this happen, and now he's saying exactly what... Fall on their knees and repent. So Peter's events... I mean, he, I, mean I don't want to be too hard on Peter. He's protecting someone he loves. And I would expect all men to protect those they love. That's our biblical foundational obligation as men. And women, too. I'm not taking you off the hook. Uh, there's a lot of mama bears here that I think would do all kinds of protecting too. But I, I, we don't want to fault Peter for not seeing the picture. 
in that moment, in that instance, a crowd all around. Peter's willing to die, but he's going to make the first strike. He doesn't want the one he loves to go off to this. So we can't give Peter a hard time, but we also have to see that, that Jesus even rebukes him and says, hey, you need to calm down. This isn't what I want. What's going to happen is I'm going to die. Verse 12, So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Now, I was confused by this. Um, because, I mean, I've read, but I've not dug in a lot. And so I'm like, well, what is, what's this middleman? We know that he goes to the high priest. We know the Sanhedrin is called in the middle of the night. We know that's an illegal trial, an illegal jury action kind of happening. And then he takes them off to the Roman leaders because they don't want to kill anybody because that's against... Well, we, we know all that. But what about this Annas guy? And so uh, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, Annas, we have this religious family. We have this moment in history where this is powerful family. We know that Caiaphas is the high priest for the year, that that's a yearly appointed thing. So who is Annas? He's the father-in-law. Well, if you dig a little deeper and dig into some church history... He was the one in charge of the temple, especially the selling of things to be sacrificed. And there's a Talmud that writes about how crooked this guy is, how twisted he is, how he was all about profit. And so you have the money elite being part of this conversation, being part of this drive to get Jesus arrested, and he's taken to him first. So Annas gets to talk to him first. Now, if Annas was part of the temple and part of all of the money happening in Jerusalem, then he would have been directly impacted and very irritated at Jesus when he cleansed the temple and told them all that this profit center for the church, or for him, needed to be gone. That this wasn't of God. And so you see this trickle effect of Jesus upset the religious entities. He upset the very fabric of how they're doing things. And so the first person to attack him and question him and the first person that sees him after he's arrested is the one who's in charge of the cash. The one who's in charge of making a profit from people coming to sacrifice animals at the temple. After he's questioned by him, he then trickles him down to his son-in-law, who's the chief high priest. And so you kind of see that even the chief high priest, does he really have the authority in this whole situation? When your father-in-law, who's the banker, is the one that's calling the shots, and then you get to talk about the religious stuff and talk about the blasphemy and all those things, we see a power dynamic unfolding here in the corruption that's existing in, in the church at this time. And so he goes from Annas to Caiaphas. Caiaphas questions him, and then he's sent to the Roman authorities, and that's where he scores. All that's about to happen. We'll talk about most of that next week. But this band of, of people, these soldiers, have seen the power of God in Jesus. And we see John put the juxtaposition of those who haven't encountered God in Annas. I mean, I believe he's making a pretty clear statement. That you did this illegally, you did this in the dark of night, you're doing this in a way that's not public, it's not for people to see, and the first person that questions him is someone mad about the prophet stream not just a, a part of the scriptures. 
that shows us the corruption that's existing throughout all of this. Helps us see some insight after Jesus encounters the Pharisees, he encounters the religious leaders, and he prays over the city, and he curses the fig tree, and he has all this anger and animosity towards the religious leaders who aren't about serving the community. They're about their own gain and their power. But Jesus has smashed that. He smashed it. And the elites, the religious leaders, aren't seeing it, but the people are seeing it. And that's what ends up being the revolutionary thing that Jesus does. This also points us back to Caiaphas. In chapter 11, God had given him um, some words to say, whether Caiaphas believed it or not. And Caiaphas said that he was the high priest, prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to unite the scattered children of God. This is chapter 11, 51-52, we dealt with weeks ago. Caiaphas says this thinking that it's a prophetic word or a command that's going to, we've got to take him out so he doesn't upset the church, he doesn't upset the temple, but he didn't realize it was the Lord using an evil intent to help everyone to see that Jesus is the one that's going to make all of this happen. That Jesus is the great unifier. Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us is what brings us all together. Like we talked about last week. That if we put our focus on Jesus, then all of us can get along in amazing ways that we probably couldn't or wouldn't want to outside of the gospel. John Calvin said, Let us remember that the body of the Son of God was bound in order that our souls might be set free from the bonds of sin. We're assured that this injustice that Jesus suffers is the plan. And we see that with his authority. We see that in this moment where he knocks the guards down with a word. And then that should flash, that should make you think forward into Revelation we spent last year discussing that when Jesus returns, that the word of God, like a sword coming out of his mouth, he's going to speak and it's done. That as all of creation was spoken into existence, power and authority came through the spoken word of Jesus himself. That our power and authority as people of God comes from the written word and we speak it to each other. And ultimately, at that final moment of judgment, it's through the power of the word, the living word, Jesus. That he's going to come and speak and all of the enemies will fall. I think we might have just heard that a little bit. That maybe John 18 is some foreshadowing into Revelation 19. That in that moment, Jesus is going to speak and the enemies will fall. So what I want to leave you with today is a confidence that Jesus wasn't a helpless victim or just a courageous martyr. That he is the sovereign savior who put all of this into motion. And I think sometimes we kind of think that. And sometimes our the way we worship and the way we read the Bible and the way we interact with each other, sometimes we can kind of go, oh, my savior, the one I love, he's a victim of, of a corrupt leadership. He's a victim. And it makes us sad that the government would come against him. And that's not accurate biblically. We also can't just say, oh, he was such a courageous martyr. 
that he died, and because he died, like other people have been martyred over history, then it, it rallies the troops, and people are angry, and they decide, we're going we're gonna to show them. It lights a fire in our belly, and we're going to go for it. What we should see is that Jesus is the loving, powerful embodiment of everything that created the universe, that everything that makes us hold together. And in that power, he chose meekness to come here in a bodily form. Now, meek doesn't mean weak. Too often, it's been turned to that over the years, a meekness means power and authority under control. That when you hear Jesus talk about that the people of God need to be meek, he's not saying that we need to be wimps. He's not saying that we need to just shrink at every conflict that comes our way. He's not saying that we should be scared. Meekness is power under control. And that's what we see in the embodiment of Jesus. The power of the universe being created with a word, embodied in flesh, choosing to go to the cross to die for us, when he could have, with a word, he just said who he was. He said his name, I am, and they hit the dirt. He could have instantly said, die. And they all would have fallen dead. That's meekness. So when we see him as our sovereign savior, don't think of him as being surprised by what happened. Don't think of him as being martyred just for people to have some excitement and some energy and some conviction to go. He took all of his power and authority and went to the cross so that you and I would be free of our sin. That in that power, he takes on the sin of the world. What was broken by Adam and Eve, he fixes. What Adam broke, Jesus in flesh fixes. And from that point forward, everything changes. Everything. So our response should not be pity. Oh, poor Jesus. Or a false sense of bravery. If Jesus can stand up to them, so can I. No, you can't. You don't have it in you. What it should do is it should build our faith. That I don't have what it takes to make it through this trial. I don't have it. I'm weak. I don't get it. I'm often prone to emotion. I'm prone to anger. I'm prone to anxiety. I don't get it. Instead, we look at Jesus and we have faith. We have faith that he will get us through everything. We have faith that he will help us through every circumstance that we can't begin to get through. Why? Because he's God in flesh. Jesus. God in flesh. Submitting his life to God the Father and then sending us, God the Spirit, to be encouraged so that we can have the power to get through anything. You can't do it, and he doesn't expect you to. He knows you can't. So instead, he came for you and for me. Do you have faith in the power of Jesus in every avenue of your life? That's the kind of power that he wants us to have. It comes from a confidence and faith in him, not in ourselves. I know that part of the American ideal is to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. There's a lot of wisdom in working hard. And when it comes to faith, 
You don't have the capacity. You must lean into his power and then he will give you the energy to study the word, give you the energy to forgive, give you the capacity to walk away from terrible situations, give you the capacity to heal after bad things have done to you. You don't have it in you. And he wants to give it to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you during this day praying that you'll help us to have faith that would be hard to understand by people outside of faith. We pray that you'll give us a faith that gives us power, but only a power that comes from a relationship with you. A power that knows that you will help us through anything if we would trust you, we would rely on you. We would seek you instead of our own understanding. Help us to see that Jesus, that you went to the cross for us. You didn't do it because it was a surprise attack. You didn't do it out of the plan going awry. It was the plan from all along. We see it first whispered in Genesis 3. And we see it come to fruition at the end of Revelation. But everything hinged on the cross. So help us to see as we continue to walk through Holy Week, the last couple days of your life, as we walk through the Gospel of John, help us to be reminded over and over and over again the authority that you spoke. The way in which you died shows us all that you're a loving Savior who went to the cross for us. And you want us to rely on you because of your love for us and our dependence on you. Help us to do that, Lord. We love you. Amen. All right, please stand. Amazing grace is our last song for the day.